Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. So excited about this series next week, Dangerous Prayers, and talking about the ability that prayer has to change things, not just change you, like prayer has the ability to change things. And so I I just believe that one of the things I really want to lead our church in is more um, expressions of corporate prayer, And, and we pray a lot. We have a group that prays on site every single week, but I think there's something powerful, special Um, moving, even emotional about corporate prayer at different times. And what I'd love to do today, which I think is kind of a perfect expression of this and where we're going with this next series, is uh, to pray as a church uh, like so many others are praying literally around the world for what's happening globally and what's happening specifically with Ukraine. And so um, I would love if you would just join me wherever you're at. And uh, even the crazy fact that people are joining us right now from other countries and Thousands of people via unfiltered radio is pretty astonishing, and you're watching us from different places. I'd love for you to join us right now, but could we just do something we don't always do? I know you just stood a ton. Um, I am, you know, somewhat sensitive to that, and at the same time, I really don't care. So would you guys just stand (laughs) real quick, and would you just pray with me wherever you're at and just join me in this moment? I would love that. Jesus, we thank you so much that you hear us and that you know and that you are is a term we throw around a lot, and we don't mean it in a cliche fashion, but you're the sovereign God of the universe. And it means that you know all things actual and possible, and not only are you sovereign, this is kind of the kicker, you are good. And even in moments where we don't understand, we, we seek to want to trust you. I, I just pray right now that you would, Lord, specifically be with brothers and sisters in Ukraine and many that are now refugees and fleeing and the images that cannot help but absolutely break your heart of men going to fight and women and children being left behind and all of the layers of suffering and uncertainty. And God, I just pray in the midst of that, number one, that the church would rise up. And I thank you, Lord, for the incredible example of of the church in Ukraine praying in the public square and, and pastors choosing not to leave and to quote them because when all of this is over, they'll remember the Christians. I pray that you would move in ways that we can't even imagine. I pray for peace for those who are suffering. I pray for courage for those who need it. I pray for wisdom for world leaders. I pray for um, unity among people all over the globe to find solutions, Lord, more than point fingers. And God, I just pray that, Lord, we would stay rooted to what ultimately is true, and that is even in the chaos you're working, and even in suffering, your light will shine, and one day all the little tyrants will bow their knees to the only king, and that's King Jesus, who will rule and reign forever on his throne. And so, God, we take confidence in that, we believe that, and we're trusting you even in this moment that somehow you would push back evil and that you would move in ways that only you can move and that, Lord, somehow there would be peace and that there would be um, a reprieve from this suffering. And at the end of the day, we are praying 
that Jesus would be glorified somehow even through this. And Lord, I pray that the church globally in this moment would, Lord, come together and pray in ways that they haven't prayed. And Lord, even for us to recognize that somehow what we get so caught up in and and how we perceive things can suddenly change in an instant when you watch what real suffering looks like around the world and what it means to, Lord, be humbled and brought to your knees and to really pray. And I pray that it would just be a reminder for us And so God, move and work in this moment and we are asking this and we are praying this to the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So we're in this series that we're concluding today called Offense and we're talking all about difficult people, all about toxic people. Uh, for some of you, you kind of knew what I was gonna speak about week three, so this is the moment you've been waiting for because um, it's all about like, what do, I, what do I do about somebody else? So let me real quick catch you up about like where we've been and then I wanna talk to you about where I wanna go today and I'm, I'm hoping this will be helpful and maybe liberating and freeing for some of us. But we're talking all about difficult people and here's how we define difficult um, or toxic people, and we recognized this last week, and it's not that we've never been in that category. I mean, hope you, hopefully you don't stay there very long, but you've always all been the idiot in a relationship, at least for a moment. Is that true or not? Okay, it is true. Um, so difficult people, though, we're talking about in terms of a lifestyle is those people you have to try to live around that maybe are characterized by controlling or deceiving or manipulating, or just really unkind. And what we said throughout this series is this fact that you've experienced, maybe you haven't been able to put words to it, is that when you're up against toxic or controlling individual, if you do not have a plan and if you're not proactive, at some level, they will gain a measure of control over your life. And that's really the issue because there are certain people that will make decisions and will respond in such unhealthy ways that you'll end up feeling baited into acting just like them. And you'll feel like, depending on what they've done, that it's almost like you don't have a choice in terms of your response. Have you ever been there? It's just like, what do you expect because of who you are? and how you have acted or reacted. I feel like I don't even have a choice in terms of how I respond. That's what difficult people do to you. Here's how we've said is that difficult or toxic people constantly keep you off balance. Like you constantly lose your equilibrium. And in fact, you respond in ways that aren't really you because when you are off balance, you constantly have to compensate. It's why in difficult relationships sometimes, other people will kind of view you and will say things like, you don't even act like yourself. It's like you become a completely different person. You you don't respond the way you normally respond. And the reason for that is that's what difficult or toxic people do to you. You are constantly off balance. You're constantly responding in ways that aren't really even you. And so you've got to ask the question, okay, so what do we do? Which is what we've asked throughout this series. And the first option you have is just to ignore them. And that never works. Like you ignore toxic or difficult people. They will wear you down. And they'll wear you down to a point where eventually you start to have all of this anger or dissatisfaction on the inside. And then eventually, you know what happens, right? You break. And a lot of times you break in some event that is really disproportionate to what's going on. But you break, you react out of your anger. And then the moment you do that, you actually empower and hand over more power to the toxic person. Ignoring never works, so that's out. The other option is you can just get even with them, which all of us wanna do. 
Like that's just that natural inclination. We gravitate toward that place without even thinking about it. And it just feels like I I need to make something equitable about this. I need to make something fair. I need for them to pay. And honestly, in certain moments, it just seems right. Like that's how I should respond based on who they are. But here's what we said throughout the series. Here's the problem with getting even with toxic individuals. You become even with somebody that you don't even like. And that's a problem for you. Like you become like somebody that you dislike. And what happens is you literally get pulled into their relational and their emotional unhealth. And the problem is it's never localized. So what happens is you take the unhealth from that relationship and from them, and then it gets transferred into all of your other relationships. And you end up suffering and other people who are not even connected end up suffering because you end up becoming just like the person that you dislike. And so what we said last week is the only way forward, and if you can, go back and listen to last week, get the Centerpoint Church Florida app, but the only way forward as a follower of Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this, you can choose how you respond, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the only way forward is to respond in a remarkable way, to literally decide that I'm going to take their evil and I'm gonna repay good, even though it is counterintuitive, it's crazy. People will say I'm naive, but I'm just telling you, it is the only way that you protect yourself from becoming like the toxic person that in some cases is sabotaging your life and your relationship. The only way is to respond in a remarkable way and do exactly what God has done for us in Christ. It's your only way forward. Now, Here's the thing though, and this is what you have to answer when you're talking about a series like this, is that response, no matter how remarkable you are, no matter how incredible you are, no matter how much you've decided, I'm not gonna get even with somebody I don't even like, I'm gonna respond in a remarkable way, I'm gonna give them grace and mercy when they've given me nothing but dysfunction, even when you respond that way, it doesn't necessarily release the control that that difficult or toxic individual has over you or has over your life. So here's really the question you have to answer. When does my continued extension of relationship or my continued extension of assistance, when does that become irresponsible? When do, even though I have done everything I can do, there are moments, there are individuals, there are relationships where honestly the relationship shouldn't continue because they still have control over your life and your other relationships. Paul said it this way, he wrote this letter to Uh, Roman Christians, they had a lot of relational conflict and they were living in a time where it wasn't great to be in Rome. And Paul said this, that as far as it's possible or if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. Now, but here's the thing, there's two things in this. If it's possible, which means it's not always possible. And number two, as far as it depends on you, which means you should do everything that you should do, you can. You should go as far as you can possibly go. You should try to model for them what God has done for you in Christ. But there becomes moments where peace is not possible in that relationship, where peace is ultimately not accessible in that relationship. So the question is, when do I stop putting myself out there? When do I stop allowing the hurt and the shrapnel that is affecting my life based on their deceiving or their controlling or their manipulating or their taking advantage. Like how long should I let that go? Because a lot of times in like Christian circles are wanting to follow Jesus and our motives are great, but under this banner of wanting to be kind and loving and do everything to reconcile, we end up doing some of the most unloving things 
in allowing relationships to continue or continue the way they currently are. Here, here's how um, the Bible or the scripture describes toxic people. It actually uses the word fools. So when it talks about difficult or toxic individuals, it talks about foolish people. And here's really the definition of scripture gives of fools or toxic people. Fools continually behave in ways that hurt themselves or they hurt other people. That's how you know you're dealing with a toxic individual or a difficult relationship. They continually, meaning this isn't in the past anymore. Like I've forgiven, we tried to reconcile and move on. It is continuing to happen. The past has moved into the present and it's influencing our future. They continue to hurt themselves. They continue to hurt me. They continue to hurt other people. That's the definition of toxicity. And here's the thing, generally, they never take ownership. And there's always collateral damage to their decisions. Like, here's another way I would say it. Fools don't change their own behavior to meet the demands of life or to meet the demands of relationship. What they want to happen is they want reality around them to change in order to meet the demands of life or to meet the demands of a relationship. Basically, I want to live my life the way I wanna live my life. And then I want everybody else around me, whether they would say this or not, I want them to compensate. It's on them to kind of move in my direction. Um, the guy who wrote so much of wisdom literature and poetry, I mean, he couldn't have said it any more eloquently when he said, as a dog returns to its vomit. Just real quick, have you ever seen a dog do this? <laughs> and here's the okay, just a side note before I continue with the rest of the verse, but like, <laughs> Here's the thing I don't get, for, and here's the thing, man, I was not a big animal lover a couple years ago, and then we decided to get a dog because we felt like it just, it was a rite of passage for the kids, so I found the perfect dog, hyperallergenic, that'll tell you a little bit about my personality, like I just, a dog that really wouldn't be a dog, like that's what I would, so we got this dog, and I love the dog, and then my wife, um, I th really out of spite, got a cat to go along with it, she bundled <laughs> into the deal, I hated cats. Um, I won't tell you how much I hated cats, but I just did. I did like if I saw them on the side of the road, it's a cat. But I, we got this cat and, I, and I'll just, cards on the table. I love this cat now, I, I do, honestly. And I love the dog, I'm all in with them. But here's what I do, I don't get the pet owners that come home and start mouthing their dogs, like French kissing their dogs when they come in the door. And I just wanna go like, I love my dog, but do you not understand that this dog will go eat its vomit the moment you give him the opportunity to do so? Like I watched my dog do this the other day and we were not in the same room for an extended period of time. So anyway, um, here's what, as dogs return to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. He couldn't have said it better. And really what he's saying is this, they continue to make the same decisions even though they hurt themselves and they're hurting other people. Again, as I just said, it's not, it's not localized to the past, it continues into the present. And so the question you have to ask is when is enough enough? Like when does something need to happen? And really the question we're asking is when does there need to be a boundary in a relationship? And the answer really is this, when a toxic person, as the scripture describes it, a fool, when their irresponsibility is creating continually harm for their life and it's creating harm for your life, like you're dealing with the shrapnel over and over again of their decisions, then a boundary needs to be put in place. 
and I get, like, I get the Christian response and I understand it, but it's a misunderstanding. Well, don't we need to do everything that we can to reconcile that relationship? And to some extent, yes, but there's limits to that. Don't we need to do everything to love them and to show mercy? Yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean the relationship should continue. In fact, and I'll make a case for this in a few moments, and Paul does a pretty good job, is that sometimes the most loving thing that you can do for you and for them and for the other relationships in your life is to actually create a boundary in that relationship. The, um, I think, seminal book around this that you can grab, and it's somewhat lengthy, but it's so good, Boundaries, maybe many of you have heard of it by Dr. Henry Cloud, Dr. John Townsend. This is such an amazing book that maybe we'll put the link um, in the app that talks all about this. So get the audio book. This will help you. But basically... This is, this is kind of a delineation of boundaries. Boundaries delineate what you're responsible for in a relationship and what I'm responsible for in a relationship. Basically, boundaries separate what depends on you and ultimately what depends on me. And so Paul talks about this in such great terms in this letter that he wrote to this Galatian church in the first century. And basically he articulates for us, hey, in any relationship, if you're gonna love well, if you're gonna love you well, if you're gonna love your neighbor well, if you're gonna love the toxic person well, because that was Jesus' chief command. I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. This is what it looks like. But you have to understand that in any relationship, in any dynamic, there is something that depends on you and then there is something that depends on the other person. And when that dynamic is shifted. When somebody doesn't carry their weight, something has to change. Hey, here's what Paul says. You guys still with me? That was not convincing. (laughs) Galatians 6, 2. If you're online, um, throw something up in the chat to let us know you're with us. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. Now, real quick, like Paul's gonna draw a contrast. So he starts in one direction, then he ends in another and basically goes, here's the tension that is at play. So he starts first with this central command of following Jesus. The law of Christ was literally like the 613 laws in the Old Testament and all the other stuff that they made up. Jesus comes on to planet earth and he's like, all of that had an expiration date. I'm here, I'm gonna die for all your sins one time, all time, then I'm gonna resurrect from the grave. And once I do that relationship with Jesus, with God through Jesus is by faith and trust in what I've done for you. I'm the final sacrifice for all sin. You don't need another sacrifice for sin. And now everything has been summarized. The law of Christ has been summarized into a singular command with two parts. I want you to understand God's love for you. And I want you to go love you, love your neighbor the way that I have loved you. And in that doing, you will fulfill the entire law of Christ. Even if you don't have a rule command or can't find the verse, what does love demand of me in any situation? And Paul says, one of the chief ways that you express this loving God by loving your neighbor is by fulfilling the law of Christ and carrying one another's burdens, just like God has done for you in Christ. Now here's, in the Greek is kind of helpful because he's gonna use two different words that helps interpret this, but the Greek word is baros and it literally means excessive like weight, or excessive load. It is carrying something that is outside the normal rhythm of life. And honestly, carrying something that you can't carry on your own. Now, I really should have brought a boulder up here, but I didn't want to do that to the production team. And I just, it was just too much. So 
this is, I can carry this on my own, but just go with me for a second. Like, it is something that generally you can't carry on your own. It's outside of the norm. It's outside of the normal rhythm of life and you need help. You were never designed to carry that on your own. And so Paul says, listen, one of the chief commands in terms of really following Jesus is to carry one another's burdens. And I put it this way on my notes, we're responsible to help carry any burden that has become too big for somebody else. Sometimes those are even emotional burdens. Sometimes those are physical burdens. Sometimes those are are tragedies that have taken place and they're out of nowhere and nobody would choose it and they didn't choose it, but there they are and there is no way in that season that they can carry that weight on their own. And as followers of Christ, with all that Jesus has done for us, he says, I want you to move in their direction and I want you to carry their burdens. It is communal It is brothers and sisters. It is, I'm not autonomous and on my own. I have been called to be here when you need it most because that's what it means to follow Jesus. And then Paul addresses like our attitude toward those who we've been called to help. And he says this, if anyone thinks that there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And then Jeremiah gives this rhetorical question, who can understand it? Answer to the question is not you. You you don't even a lot of times understand your own heart, your own actions, your own behaviors. You you get on the other side of them and go, what was I thinking? And and Paul's like, listen, have you ever met a person who thought they were amazing when they weren't? You ever thought, you ever met somebody who had such a lack of self-awareness that thought they had it together in this one area and they didn't at all? And it seems like maybe they're the only person that doesn't understand it. And in this context, he's saying, listen, our temptation a lot of times can be to look at somebody who is carrying an excessive burden in a season. And in the back of our mind, whether we say this or not, because we'll always disguise and well, we're gonna pray for you or whatever. But we look at them and go, would you get your junk together? Like, how'd you end up there? Are you lazy? Like, how does this happen? Are you not responsible? Like, it is so easy that our first response when anybody is carrying an excessive burden is to have this thing in, our back, in the back of our mind, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, to go, would you just get your stuff together, man? Early in um, my marriage, um, Nicole and I, we're in it together. Our marriage. <laughs> We, we had this, uh, this season that we walked through that we've talked about so much. So some of you know the story really well. Um, others of you maybe for the first time, but I won't tell the whole story, but we, we got into marriage. And I don't know how else to say this, but like up into that point, I just felt like I'd pretty much done everything right. Like not arrogantly, but I just felt like I had never had like these huge, like where I, I strayed super far or anything like that. And I just felt like I kind of checked all the boxes. And if I were to be really honest now in retrospect, like there was, a, there was a level of kind of arrogance and insensitivity in my heart. And Nicole and I got married, we had checked all the boxes and we were following Jesus. And I was, you know, replanning and starting a church. And it's like, I mean, we pretty much have it together. And then everything just fell off the rails and my wife began to walk through a season of emotional pain that I did not understand and initially was not empathetic to at all and eventually was diagnosed with several mental illnesses which I had no context for. I thought that was made up and so like we need to find another answer. That can't be it. And we walked through this season where without giving you the full story, God just brought us to our knees and not overstating it. I remember like just this one time in the shower going, I don't know if my marriage is gonna survive. And for me to even say that or think that is like, I'm not that guy. I would look at other people that go, well, what did you do? Like, why couldn't you get it together? 
and walking through this where we are like relationally in this horribly toxic place and my wife is struggling with emotions and I can't fix any of it. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I remember God just used that season because as we began to walk through that journey of mental illness that God moved her out of in terms of health, not healing completely, but health. I I remember that like we felt so completely alone because we didn't know anybody in our situation had ever struggled with anything like that. Nobody really talked about it. And God used all of that, I'm telling you, not probably not all of it because it's still in me, but to root out so much of my arrogance and so much of my lack of empathy and insensitivity to recognize really for the first time in my life, I'm as broken as anybody else. And but for the grace of God, I can end up in any situation. And I remember like when we got to the other side of that, and I put that in air quotes, like we just determined that we would do whatever we could specifically around the issue of mental illness because it was so personal to us. We would do everything that we could to help carry one another's burdens in that area. Because honestly, there wasn't a lot of people in that season that really had the understanding to help carry our burdens. And, And here's the thing, like when we lack empathy to not recognize that you are one misstep, and sometimes it's not even a misstep, it's something that was handed to you that you had nothing to do with, but you're walking through extreme brokenness and you need help. When we don't understand that we're one misstep away from being off the rails, two things happen. Number one, I don't know how else to say that, you just become an idiot. And then number two, you lack the awareness to understand that you are not immune, right? Like you have the capability of ending up anywhere. And when you have this level of arrogance that somehow looks down at other people who are in a season of carrying an excessive burden, mentally, physically, emotional, maybe it's financially, it's just so easy to move to that place and you lose all empathy and you lose all compassion. And you lose every ability to be able to relate to them in that brokenness. The question that I asked myself as I was thinking about this passage was, I I wonder what people think about me when they're coming to me in the middle of their brokenness. And I know for me, it's maybe a little bit even more difficult because people like kind of attribute 5,000 pounds to everything that I say, if I know them well. And I just thought like in the midst of their brokenness, when they're carrying a burden and maybe some of it, they compiled themselves. I wonder what they feel. I wonder if they feel like when they come to me, hey, listen, he's gonna tell me the truth, but I know that when I come with this burden in the midst of my brokenness and my crap, I'm gonna receive nothing but grace. I'm gonna receive nothing but winsomeness. I'm gonna receive nothing but humility. And all Paul's doing is like, listen, hey, before I go any further in this conversation, just make sure that you don't discount every individual who's carrying excessive burden and that you keep your heart in such a place to recognize that you are vulnerable and it leaves you open to empathy and compassion and love to move in the direction of other hurting people. That should be the characteristic of the local church. And so he says, if anyone thinks there's something and they're not, they deceive themselves. And then he introduces this idea about personal responsibility And he's kind of unpacking this whole thing. And each one should also test their own actions. Just real quick, all he's saying is, you should get a mirror before you look at anybody else. Before you think it's their responsibility, before you think that they need to come in and help, before you think that they need to carry this for you, before you do anything, you need to ask the question, am I doing what I need to do? Am I owning what I need to own? Am I responsible for what I need to be responsible for? Because I shouldn't ask you to help me carry something that I'm not carrying myself. One of the things even around like mental health is sometimes you wanna walk with people through the entire journey, but even in that there becomes a point of, I can't help you take the steps toward healing that you are not willing to take. 
At some point, you have to own part of this. You have to carry what is yours to carry. And then Paul says this, then take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to somebody else. Meaning when you decide that you're gonna carry what you've been designed to carry, like there's a healthy pride in that. Like you beat that. With the Spirit's help and with Christ in you, like you beat that addiction, you beat that habit. That business was successful, you graduated. It's like that feeling you get where your team's been successful. I mean, whatever it is, he's like, that is healthy because you have carried what is yours to carry and you feel good when you are carrying something because you were designed for that. You were designed to carry. Work was created in the Garden of Eden before sin ever entered the world. It's good to carry and to be responsible for what God has given you. And then Paul says this, and it seems contradictory, but he's bringing all of this together when he says, for each one of you should carry their own load. You're like, what? You just said we should carry one another's burdens. And now you're telling that each of us should carry our own load. But I'll I'll go to that in a second. Here's what he's talking about in this context. Your load is what you are uniquely responsible for. And nobody else can carry that. Like nobody else can carry fully the consequences for your behavior. Nobody else can carry the shrapnel or the consequences for your responses. Nobody can carry the weight of all of your feelings. Nobody can carry what comes on the other side of your irresponsibility. Nobody can carry all your feelings, your attitudes, your behaviors, your responses. Nobody else is able to do that. And so Paul is drawing this contrast of, hey, you should carry one another's burdens when you're carrying an excessive burden that you were never designed to carry on your own. But then there's some burdens that you are, some loads that you actually were designed to carry. It's like your backpack. I I can't be responsible for all of your behaviors and your responses and your attitudes. You have to carry that. You have to own that. That has to be your backpack that goes with you. And if there's ever going to be any kind of health in this relationship, that's how it ultimately has to work. So here's Paul's summary. You need to carry one another's burdens. And here's where the Greek helps us because in the Greek, he uses that word baros, which means it's basically like the idea for a boulder or excess things that I cannot carry on my own. This is, this is sickness. In some cases, this may be mental illness. This may be a job loss. Heck, this may be a refugee coming out of another country because of a war they didn't start. This could be somebody who had somebody walk out on their marriage. This is, you were never designed to carry this on your own. And then he says, Each one of you should also carry their own load. And in the Greek, this word load actually means portion. This is your portion, your responsibility, which means you were never designed to carry this, but nobody else can carry this. This is your feelings and your attitudes. This is your behaviors. And there becomes a certain point where your behaviors hit a certain point where I recognize I can't continue to compensate and deal with the shrapnel of your choices, your decisions, your behaviors. I cannot carry all of the stuff from your attitude. I cannot continue to carry all of the stuff that comes from your responses. That is your backpack, your load, your responsibility that God has designed you to carry. Like, like here's the summary. We're responsible to help carry one another's burdens and responsible for carrying our own loads. Like, like here's the thing about toxic or difficult relationships is they will oftentimes make you feel really guilty and they'll slap a verse on it, maybe sometimes if it's Christian community, 
make you feel really guilty about not carrying their load. But here's the reality, and some of you know this already. If you try to carry responsibly your own load, if you're in a conflict right now, if you're in a toxic relationship, you're in a difficult relationship, and you are trying to carry your own load, what God has given you, what you're responsible for, which by the way, that weighs a lot by itself. Like you have a lot to carry on your own. And if you are trying to carry your own load and carry somebody else's load, just mark it down, it will end badly. Like it will not end well for you. It won't end well for that relationship. And sometimes your desire, your 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 demeanor, what you ultimately want is why you're continuing to pursue this, but all the while you're actually undermining what you actually want because at the end of the day, that relationship is not gonna survive. In some cases, you're not gonna survive. In some cases, you're gonna sabotage the other relationships around you and it will not end well. You were never designed to carry somebody else's load. In fact, I'd say this. When we feel responsible for carrying one another's load, we rob them of experiencing the outcomes of their decisions. And I know you know this already because you've experienced this, I've experienced this. There are moments where God was only able to get my attention where, when God brought me to the end of myself. Like this place sometimes where we feel the full weight and consequence of our decisions, that's the place where God wants to work in transformative and powerful ways. And if we continually rob somebody else of that because of maybe the best intentions, we actually rob God of doing the significant work that God wants to do in their life. Sometimes for transformation to happen, somebody has to hit the very bottom. In fact, Paul said this, He said, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and in that unique posture, in due time or at the right time, God will lift you up and God will lift you out. Here's the thing about that though. Sometimes that humbling is not even willful. The humbling is us experiencing the full weight of our decisions and circumstances and consequences and coming to that place where we are brought to our knees to realize the only thing that I've got is God and God is the only thing that can change this. And in that posture of humility, when we come to the end of ourselves, God begins to work in significant, sometimes miraculous and transformational ways in which we will never be the same again. And we cannot rob somebody else ultimately of being in that situation where God can work because there has to be boundaries between the burden and the load. Listen, this is a stupid example, but I just thought of it. My neighbor who doesn't water his lawn. <laughs> no, he does. This is not, because I have neighbors that come to, this is not, not my direct neighbor, but let's say my neighbor beside me didn't water his lawn because he actually does. But because I have problems, that would bother me. And so, like, I get so bothered that I'm like, I'm going to, like, twist around all of my sprinklers. And I'm just going to water his lawn to, to get this right. And then I might even go over and edge it after a while. But, like, I'm going to start with, I'm just going to water everything. And here, what's going to happen in that? Like, that, that's, that's lack of boundaries. Because eventually his lawn's going to look amazing. It's going to be green. And he is going to be completely irresponsible and happy, right? And then what's gonna happen on the other side? I'm gonna be completely responsible. I'm watering the neighbor's lawn. Like I'm doing so much good for my community. I'm gonna be completely responsible and I would be miserable. Like in my effort to love, I would hate my neighbor. 
right? Because that's exactly what happens when there is not a delineation in boundaries because boundaries delineates. Here's what you are responsible for and here's what I'm responsible for. And our thought process sometimes is, it is so unloving. I need to do everything I can. Yes, but there comes a point that for you to be able to keep the door open to actually your own emotional and relational health and actually loving in the other relationships around you and keeping the door open to actually loving the toxic person long-term, your only hope for that to happen is to create a boundary in the moment. And it is the most loving thing that you can do. Because eventually you will sabotage you, you will sabotage the other relationships in your life because you're compensating and you're off balance. And it almost completely puts you in a place where there is no hope of that other relationship ever moving forward. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional assistance. Unconditional love doesn't even mean unconditional relationship. And sometimes that's the most loving thing that you can do long-term to set yourself up and set God up to maybe God could do something in this relationship that I could never do on my own. I mean, come on, even in terms of assistance, like people who have more constantly struggle with this monetarily because people are coming to them. It's easy if you don't have anything, like, no, I can't do a thing for you. I have nothing. I'd love to. And then others, you may be in that place to go, no, I could constantly help. So I constantly have somebody coming to me. It just gets to a point where there has to be a boundary. I mean, I think Biggie Small said it, mo money, mo problems. Like there has to be a point where like, I'm not, I don't know where that came from. Um, like you have to set up a boundary. That wasn't needed. I don't know why. I'm really trying to. Let me get serious right now. Um, Loving somebody might look different. And you aren't unloving to get to a place with hopefully some empathy and some compassion and love still intact to do exactly what Paul said earlier of like, don't, don't look down on those individuals. Pray with everything that you got that God would do a miracle in their heart. I think that should be our posture. But it's not unloving to eventually get to the place to go, I, I can't move forward with the deception any longer. I can't move forward with the controlling any longer. I'm not honoring me. I'm not honoring the other relationships in my life. I'm not honoring the call that God has on my life. I can't continue to move forward with the irresponsibility or with the hurting or with the manipulating. And sometimes the best love loves at a distance where you keep the door open maybe to God doing something in that relationship long-term and you protect yourself and your relationships to be able to love well and pursue God's dream and God's destiny for your life. Like, here's the thing. Choosing not to give in does not mean giving up. And I get it, because you'll get in those relationships. Well, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. We're family. We're whatever. We've known each other for 10 years. I get all of that. And I love you. I mean, come on. We should spend our life going after the people that everybody else has given up on. But have you ever been in a situation where you feel like, you care more about somebody else's life than they care about their life. And Paul's going, in that moment, you've got to create a boundary and then you've got to get on your knees and pray that that maybe would be the moment where they would humble themselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God and eventually God will transform and lift them up and lift them out of that. So let me give you a couple things and I'm going to be done. This is kind of four things around setting a boundary. I think the first one is you set a time limit. 
Like whatever that looks like, and you're smart people, I can't talk about all the nuances of your relationships, but you need to set a time limit. I think this is different with physical or sex, sexual abuse or a bunch of other things I don't have time to talk about. I think that's a different category. But for others where you're hoping maybe God's gonna do something, I think you set a time limit and then you stay open to what the future holds, meaning I'm hoping that somehow God is gonna reconcile this. I'm hoping that somehow God will change them. I'm hoping that somehow God will heal them of this toxicity, but I know it's not happening right now. I can't save them, so I'm gonna set a limit. I'm gonna stay open to what God has. I'm gonna build a fence, not a wall, and make sure, so many jokes there. I'm gonna build a fence, not a wall, and I'm gonna make sure that the handle to the gate's on my side. And then the fourth thing is, I think you've gotta have accountability. And this isn't accountability for anything else other than you. You need somebody to walk alongside of you and encourage you, to pray with you, to speak wisdom over your situation. You were never meant to do this alone or in isolation. You need somebody else to walk with you through the process. And maybe in some cases where you shouldn't give up, they're still coming alongside you to go, hey, listen, you need to keep going. You need to keep praying. You need to keep believing that God could do something in this relationship. And come on, isn't it true that Jesus at the cross is the ultimate refusal of God to give up on his people? And Jesus says to you, and he says to me, I want you to follow me. Which means I, I want you to show mercy the way that I've shown mercy. And I want you to love the way that I've loved, which means I don't want you to get even. I don't want you to pay back. I don't want you to get equity and justice because it feels like that in the moment. I want you to write a better story. I want you to be remarkable. I want you to repay evil with good. I want you to forgive the way that I've forgiven you. And the fact that Jesus has never given up on us means that we should never give up on somebody else. But here's the thing, Jesus is the savior. You are not the savior. Let Jesus be their savior. Let Jesus be their redeemer and their reconciler and their transformer and to do in their heart, in their life by the power of the spirit of God, what you will never be able to do. And in some cases, when you set a boundary, you actually open up the door for God through his spirit to work in their heart in ways that he wouldn't otherwise. And so Jesus says, I want you to follow me into this. And listen, you should make every effort in the relationship. You should do everything that you can but there may become a moment where you realize it's not gonna happen. And at least in this season, this relationship is not gonna look the way I want and there is not gonna be peace in this relationship. But when you have done everything that you can do, you can have peace about a relationship even if you don't find peace in the relationship. And that's what Paul's inviting you into. And so come on, number one, pursue peace with everything that you've got. And you will not, you will not passively find what you are not actively pursuing. And then when it gets to that place, and some of you are there right now, to pray for God's courage, God's boldness, God's wisdom, do not grow cynical, do not grow to a place where you lack empathy, where you lack understanding, where you lack love, but it does not mean the relationship could, should continue. And in that moment, it may be the fact that you're inviting Jesus in to go, Jesus, do what I can never do on my own. I'm not the savior, you are. Let me just end with this verse that I came across in Romans 15, five, and this is the message. And this is kind of a prayer for me as it relates to this subject and to what Paul's talking about when he says this. Writing to Roman Christians under Nero, he said, may our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with all of us. 
then will be a choir. Not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. So reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it, and now you do it. As I've said throughout this series, I just leave you with this question. When, when this is just a story you tell, and in many cases as emotional and powerful and all-consuming as it is right now, one day it'll just be a story you tell. When this is just a story you tell with this conflict, this toxic individual, this difficult circumstance, when this is just a story you tell, what kind of story do you wanna tell? And I just wanna end with this. If the church would just get this one thing right, as I've said before, all of the other things that we get so consumed with, if we would just believe that Jesus is as smart as we believe that Jesus is because he rose from the dead, that it really does just come down to this one command and all of the law of Christ is fulfilled. If we would do this one thing, the face, the reputation, and the impact, and the influence of the local church would change. Let's do that. Let's be that church. Let's respond the way that Jesus has responded to us. And wherever you are, would you just stand with me? I just wanna pray for you in this moment. And I wanna give some of you the opportunity to just respond if you've never responded to enter into a relationship with Jesus as I conclude this series. And, and you can pray this prayer after me. And I say this, I've said this a thousand times, not a prayer that saves you. There's no perfect words. You don't have to get it completely right. It is the declaration of your heart to say, I'm not trusting me any longer because most of our culture is centered around a moralistic, how do I get better and earn my way to God and outweigh enough bad things that I'm okay. And the scripture says that all of that's futile. Matthew 5, 47, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And the whole point of that verse was to say, you can't do that. So you need Jesus. And Jesus came and he died for your sin on the cross, past, present, future, he rose again. And now if you would transfer your trust to say, I can't earn or outdo anything in order to be good enough for God. I need what Jesus has done for me. I'm trusting him. The scripture says you become a son and daughter of God. You become forgiven. You have new life inside of you. And even if behaviorally you never get it right, because of the fact that it's based on Jesus' performance and not yours. One day you will leave this life, you will stand face to face before Jesus, before your heavenly father, and you will be whole and perfect and complete and welcome into paradise for all time because of what Jesus has done for you and all of it stems from a single decision. And so in this moment, I wanna give you that chance online, unfiltered radio in the house. Pray this prayer after me. It's not the prayer, it's your declaration of trust. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin believe that you rose again in history. And right now, I'm asking you to save me and to forgive me. And if that's you in this moment online, would you text Centerpoint to 94,000? We'd love to send you a link and just give you information about this new journey. Centerpoint to 94,000. If you're in the room with nobody looking around, just out of respect for what God's doing in this moment, would you just lift up your hand if that's you? We'd love to just quickly put a card in your hand. And if you choose, you could fill that out, take it to one of the tents. And we'd love to give you some information about this new journey. But just real quick, if that's you, just lift your hand up just for a second. We'd love to put a card in your hand. And without calling you out or doing anything weird, celebrate what God's doing in this moment, in this place. Jesus, thank you for doing your thing. Continue to appropriate this in our lives and our circumstances. 
in the way that only you know how. And we pray this in your incredible name. Amen. Would you guys put your hands together and celebrate really loudly those who made decisions today? Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.